Well, good morning, Fellowship High Crest. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning, Fellowship High Crest. That's more like it right there. Well, today is a special day because today is opening day. Yeah, yeah. Today is the opening day for the 2018 Major League Baseball season. (laughs) The opening Sunday is today. Today is also the official launch Sunday for Fellowship High Crest. But more importantly and more significantly, today is the day that we celebrate the open and empty tomb of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in our previous two uh, preview services, our tradition has been this. Our tradition has been, um, instead of showing the scriptures that we referenced during the sermon on the screen, we like to show the page numbers. And those page numbers will correlate to the Bibles that you find in your seats. And we do this because we want you to know that the things that we're saying come from the Bible. And we say this, if you don't have a Bible of your own, then take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that is easy to read and understandable language um, that you actually speak today, then take that one as our gift to you. And if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible of their own, then take that one and give it as a gift from the both of us. Like I said, what I just stated was what we normally do. But today is a special day and special moments calls for us to sometimes do things a little bit differently. Today, instead of sharing a sermon, I want to share a story with you. And I want to share a story for a couple of reasons. The first of which is I spent the last two weeks explaining how um, story plays a larger role in our culture and in our lives than we realize. And that story is tremendously powerful. Another reason I want to share a story with you is that, that in this story, those who have missed one or more of our previous services can get caught up to the rest of us. And then third, I want to share the story because truly it's the greatest story that I know. I mean, I was once on a bachelor weekend at a casino resort in southeast Louisiana on the patio of his nightclub in the middle of a large crowd and I was challenged to a storytelling contest. Now, how I ended up at a casino resort in southeast Louisiana on the patio of a nightclub being challenged to a storytelling contest, that's a story for another day. <laughs> but think the hangover without Mike Tyson and with a weenie dog instead of a tiger. But we'll come back to that someday. The stakes were high and the pressure was on. The crowd was pressing in. But I touted to my opponent and to the crowd that I truly had the better story. I told them that, you know, my opponent might have better storytelling skills than me, but it didn't matter because the story that I had was so much greater. What I'm going to share with you today is the story that I shared that night. Part of that story went like this. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And they stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. I think it would have been stronger if they would have said he ain't here, but I didn't write this one. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the single greatest event in human history, is told as a story. As I told this story that night, my opponent seemed to instantly sober up, and the crowd went from observing to intimately sharing and starting to encourage one another. Stories draw us in, whether it's a Netflix series or the blockbuster movie premiere. Stories have a way of pulling us in. You know, have you ever thought about that we're all living a story? Each and every one of us, right? The setting is when we wake up every day, and the characters are those we live with and those we work around and go to school with. I mean, the story we're living could be a a comedy or a drama, a tragedy or suspense, but all of us are living a story. To know someone is to know their story. The human heart longs to be known and to be loved at the same time, and this means that there is a deep desire in each of us to have our stories known and for others to invite us into their story. God is writing his story. He's the author, a really good author, who has written a grand story for eternity, and he invites us to be a part of it. The part I shared with you earlier, though, is the middle of the story. And to understand the meaning of this story, you have to get the rest of the story. The story begins before time began. The beginning of Scripture and the beginning of all of the earth as we know it begins with the words, in the beginning. But see, there was a beginning before this beginning, and we get a picture or a peek inside this beginning that existed before the beginning in the first chapter of John's gospel where he says this. He says, he existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Before there was a beginning, there was God. This God was one but existed in three persons. This God spoke of himself as us. This God, the Trinity, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit existed in loving relationship. This God is not, nor has been, nor ever will be alone. This God is a relational God. My mind used to picture God as alone and lonely, but that's simply just not the case. Even before my beginning, even before your beginning, God existed in this loving relationship and fellowship and intimacy with each other. He knew love within a relationship before we were ever in the picture. The fact that this same relational God made us in his image makes us crave to be in relationship also. That longing to be known and to be loved, to never be alone or in isolation, the fear of not having true fellowship, 
It's all linked to us being made in the image and likeness of our creator. And it causes us to want a relationship also. Before the beginning was God and God was good and and we are not alone. The author of the story is with us. His story is granted. He's inviting us into this story. And he is good. Now, every story. It relates to the true story of us. And every good story has a villain. Our story has a villain. Evil is around us. But where did it come from? In Israel's history, during the time of the prophet Ezekiel, there was this evil um, prince, this evil ruler of a nearby city named Tyre. And as Ezekiel wrote prophecy during that time against this ruler, a lot of his characteristics lined up with this character known in the scriptures as Satan. Satan was the ultimate vision or villain in God's story. And rather than a dude that's dressed up in a red leotard with, you know, pitchforks and, and horns, this villain was originally very wise and beautiful, and he, he was trusted and, and powerful among the angels. Scripture said that you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic Guardian, you had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. He had it all. He had all that any created being could have hoped for. He had unhindered access to the approval of and the trust of his creator. He had all that we hope for today. He has what we long to have back. But then something happened. Satan got caught up in his DMs and his likes and his retweets and his shares. And because of this, he became proud and jealous of God's glory. God had given him so much that he no longer wanted a relationship with God. He wanted to be God. God had given him so much that he felt like he didn't need God anymore. Hmm, wonder if any of y'all have ever been in that place. He gave root to a thought that God was keeping him from his potential, so he rebelled against him. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted because of your love of splendor. God had made him so beautiful that he forgot God. He equated what God didn't give him as a lack of love on God's part. Maybe some of you can identify with that. As a result, God cast him and all the angels that joined in the rebellion out of heaven. He says, oh, I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. And, and we find out about um, the response of God toward evil and the agents that he uses to fight this battle against evil, his angels. No, not some Swedish dudes with ultraperms, nor the Los Angeles angels who are also enemies of ours. 
But when we look at the scriptures, we see angels more as warriors, as glorious, as massive, as more like the Delta Force or the Navy SEALs or like the rock in the action movie when he's kicking butt. When people see them, they, they have fear and they tremble. And their common response to our response is, do not fear. The power of evil is greater than us. The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy anything and everything that is God's. And on our own, the villain will kill, steal, and destroy us. There is a God, and he is good. There is a villain, and he is evil. And now we come to the beginning of the story of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A good God creating good things, unveiling his power and creativity and pleasure. God speaks and nothing listens. It becomes something. God speaks and dead things come to life. God speaks and old things become new. God speaks and worthless things become priceless. God speaks and chaos gains perfect order. I mean, God is so cold that not even Chuck Norris nor the Dos Equis men can even touch him. I mean, while basketball may debate over LeBron or Michael, the true greatest of all time, spoke one billion stars into existence, gave water its wetness, sunlight its warmth, the dog its bark, the duck its quack, he gave cow its milk, and summer its breeze, all with three words. Let there be. All hail the king. He spent five days. Speaking creation into being in the divine survey said at the end of each day, it is good. And then on the sixth day, he created his crowning masterpiece. He said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And it was very good. The fingerprint of God, the clearest reflection of the creator in all of creation is seen in us. Think about that. There's a lot spoken of original sin, but original beauty is less explored. You know, man and woman were placed in this glorious world and and they were with a good and loving God. They were created with the capacity to reason, to create, to show intimacy and to know joy. They laughed and wondered and dreamed and lived in peace and in joy with God and others. And, And this is how we begin. And there's a part of us that longs to be back there, not only with God, but with each other. Evil entered the world that God had created, this good world in Genesis 3. But why? Why would a good and loving God allow evil to enter in? Here's the reason why. If you want a world where love is real, then you must allow each person the chance to choose. You must allow each person the freedom to choose. You know, every time I choose my wife and kids over some woman in the streets or some woman on the screen or in a book, I demonstrate love. Every time I choose to hold my words instead of sharing information with someone who is not a part of the problem nor a part of the solution, 
I demonstrate love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're going to create a world, if you're writing a story where love is the meaning, where love is the highest and best of all, where love is the point, then you have to allow each person to choose. God gives us the dignity of freedom to choose for or against him. And if you ignore him, that is the equivalent of choosing against him. God is saying where where there is love, there is also choice. And so he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust that I'm holding this back for a reason? Will you trust that you you should not eat of the tree of good and knowledge of the evil uh, knowledge of good and evil? For a reason that you will surely die. But then this is where the story takes a tragic turn. For God created the serpent. Who is more crafty than all the other animals that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to a woman. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of any tree of the garden? You will not surely die. God is not good. God can't be trusted. He's simply trying to hold you back from something better. The fact that he's holding back from you, that he's holding something back for you, reveals that in his heart he really doesn't love you. And they ate. Man and woman both fell, both stolen from the good one by the evil one. And everything in them and around them fell. Good went bad and sin went viral like a Russian Facebook post. Things continue to spiral down and out of control until we reach Genesis 6, where it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Because of self-centeredness, just like Satan, we failed at the greatest gift that God has ever given us, the ability to receive and to give love. We failed at loving God and each other. Paradise is lost, and we've been stolen away in the talons of the evil one. We've been trafficked by the evil one, by the villain. We may not see it as clearly as the scriptures call it, but, but we have hints of a deep longing for a rescue from a life that is stolen By the evil one within us, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. See, but rescue is available. God has placed a signal fire in all of us, but there is a problem. We have sold the line and bought the lie that our only chance at rescue comes from within us. The lie covers the signal that God has placed within each of us, and it convinces us that that rescue comes from trying harder and choosing a better environment. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the lie that we've been sold. If you don't have something, then it's because you're not working hard enough. You're too lazy. If you just move and go to a different place, then things will be different. We have more opportunities than we've ever had, and yet we're more stressed 
from the fear of missing out than we've ever been. We have more things than we've ever had, and yet we're more discontent than we've ever been. We have more escape experiences, more retreats, more, more vacations, more weekend getaways than we've ever had, and yet we're more drugged and under the influence than we've ever been. Why is this? It's because we are made in the image and likeness of God. He made us for himself, and therefore we only find our rest in him. From the moment that we were stolen, God initiated a rescue. He had a plan even for there was a beginning, a great rescue for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The opening scene of Saving Private Ryan kind of gives a hint of what it looked like when Jesus arrived on the scene. It was a dangerous mission. It was it was a great invasion, a daring raid into the enemy's territory to save all of mankind and yet to save one man. He came back to win your life that was stolen by the fall. He proclaimed that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, and yet he, my promise is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus is no hired hand. Jesus coming is a personal thing. I mean, the life he lived was for you, the death he died was for you, and the resurrection from the grave was for you. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus is the hero of the story whose life, death, and resurrection confront the evil one and purchase us back by his death. His life for ours. That's the way it goes. A life for a life. That's the way it goes. That's the way the story goes. To take back what was lost when we were stolen from him. The life death, and the resurrection of Jesus answer once and for all what God's heart really is for us. And at the point of our deepest betrayal, before we ever turned back to him, he came and died to rescue us. He came to save you in every way that a person could ever be saved. The hero lays down his life for the beloved. Our Savior, our rescuer says, will you trust me? Will you allow for me to do what you can't do for yourself? Will you allow me to save you? Will you allow me to save you? So how do all the stories we love end? There is an expectation and anticipation that the hero will defeat the villain and restore the beloved to peace. There's a longing for a happily ever after and with God. The resurrection had a profound effect on the friends and followers of Jesus. Before it happened, they had a deep respect for him and and even many stories of his teaching and power. But, But after he rose from the dead on that third day morning with all power in his hand, see, See, not only my kids, but even deaf, sin, and the grave know that when somebody in authority counts to three, then you got to flee. When he rose from the grave on the third day morning, they knew more than just the power of his teachings and respected him as a person. They knew that he was God and that his death, burial, and resurrection was for the forgiveness of their sins and their restoration to God. 
The resurrection also gave a promise, a hopeless Peter who had just days before denied Christ. After witnessing the empty and open tomb, he wrote, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. One of the last chapters in the Bible talks about this new heaven and new earth. And for many, this is not appealing because we've reduced worship down to what happens in a church service. And when you reduce worship down to what happens in the church service and all of eternity is supposed to be spent in worship of God, then eternity becomes being involved in this endless church service. And for most of us, the thought of being involved in an endless church service seems like hell rather than heaven. <laughs> See, but when, you, when, when worship expands to become a lifestyle, Instead of something that you do in the service, when it becomes all of life, then you realize something. You begin to understand the story that the great author had uh, in mind. You begin to re- remember that the rescuer came not to subject you to an endless worship service, but he came to regain and restore what you lost when Adam fell. We become his representatives in an uncorrupted way, while basking in an opportunity to have physical companionship with the God of the universe. This is the most epic and yet the most romantic story that's ever been known. You get to be a part of the most engaging story that has ever been told. While the present world is controlled by the evil one, the future world is controlled by the good one. People who believed in the resurrection of of Jesus shared this story as a grand invitation to the people around them. Jesus called the invitation a great banquet. His life, death, and resurrection prepared the banquet for us and made it ready for this reality to be offered. Jesus told it like this. He said, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests to come. The banquet is ready. But they all began to making excuses. One said, uh, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Um, please excuse me. And one said, um, please excuse me. And another said, I've just been married and I cannot come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and invite the poor, the, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant did this, and, and he reported back, There's still more room. So his master said, Go out into the country and behind the hedges and, and, and urge everyone you find to come so that the house may be full. Each excuse had a smaller story attached to it with self at the center, pushing the great banquet that had been offered off the table. This is the story that I shared with the crowd at the club that night. This is the story that made the club seem not so hype. This is the story that won the competition. This is the story that made the party a celebration. This is the story that I offer you to be a part of. This is the great invitation. 
The first part of accepting the great invitation comes in letting God redeem your story. Our story is redeemed when we believe. Are you tired of living the story that you're currently a part of? Are you ready to move from a story of sin and death and shame to a story of forgiveness, redemption, and love? Do you see God as good? Do you see Jesus Christ as the rescuer? Do you believe and trust him to rescue you? Scripture says this. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that's with your mouth, and confess or believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never stepped over the line of faith, make today the day by declaring, I believe. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe that he lived. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe. But see, God doesn't just want to redeem your story. He wants to rewrite it because that's what he does. That's who he is. He takes old things and makes them new. And the second part of accepting the grand invitation is to allow God to rewrite your story. And you begin to let God rewrite your story when you follow him. When you follow him and you adopt to his story and walk away from your own. You walk toward what is good and away from what is evil. One of the first ways that you begin to walk with him is by obeying the command to be baptized. If today is the day you make the decision to step across the line of faith, or if you've done it before but you haven't been baptized, make that decision today. Two Sundays from now, we'll be doing baptisms here. Don't delay. Don't make excuses. It doesn't get any easier the longer you wait. Any excuse you have is equivalent to the excuses given in Jesus' story at a great banquet. Mark it down. Let's get it set up today. You'll have a card there. You can mark and turn it in. We'll, we'll have some people over here ready to talk with you right after service ends where you can, we can help you get that set up. If you're here and you stepped over the line of faith, and you've gone public with your faith through the act of baptism. Then continue to allow him to rewrite your story. By following him and urging everyone you come across to come so that his house will be full. Go make disciples. Disciples.